0: thank you for listening to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. If you'd like more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithworship.org. Bob, come back up here, Bob. Can you guys tell that we're, we're secure in our masculinity? <laughs> oh, man. Pink and Purple. Dear Jesus, you guys good? Me too. (sighs) Man, I love being here. (laughs) I really do. So uh, today's going to be a little different, I think. Well, for me it is. Um because I have an ongoing relationship with the four of you guys, Darylyn and Lori and Bob. Um in many ways this place is kind of my home. Like I feel like we're kind of like missionaries sent out from here. I know that sounds weird. Uh but I'm I'm serious because there's been, I don't think there's been really many houses that have embraced kind of all of what God's given to us, Christine and I, and what God wants to do through us on the earth. And uh, I remember the first time I came here, the Lord gave me a word that this would be a place for forerunners to uh, be safe and to be accepted and all this stuff. So sometimes, do you guys, (laughs) do you guys ever, are you talking with someone that maybe goes to church or something? They're like, they ask you that that question, you know, like, well, where do you go to church? And you can tell, you can tell that they're kind of making sure that you line up with what they think a Christian is, you know. Um, but the problem for for us is that I go to church all over the place, right? Like the Lord's given us an apostolic thing where we get to go all over the world, and so that doesn't always fit into the mindset of someone that just only does church, you know, they're like, you should be at your church every Sunday, you know? And I'm like, I'm in different churches every Sunday, right? So I confess, there's been times where they're like, well, where's your home church? And instead of saying any churches in my area, because I go there and I preach at those churches and stuff. They're all my friends and stuff. But sometimes I've said, It's you guys. (laughs) Uh, And that's true. I'm kind of just trying to stay out of trouble, but it's it's also true. So I I really love you guys. And I felt like the Lord um, this time just just wanted me to tell you kind of the things that God's been doing. And uh, just kind of update you with... What God's been doing across the earth and just in our lives. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, I have a little message, a little short message as well, but um, I just wanted to update you. Do you remember the, t- the last time I was here, I, t- I told you about how we were going to go on a trip to India to meet the tiger widows? Yeah. Do you remember that? There was this beautiful group of women in, in the middle of nowhere, and they'd all been widowed by Bengal tigers, like it's Indiana Jones times or something. And so we rolled out there, we took 25 people with us, and then we had five translators and some other people, and so we had over 30 people, and um, our plan was kind of multifold, but my wife is a NICU nurse, she takes care of little babies, you know, babies that can fit in the palm of your hand. It's amazing what doctors and nurses can do with little babies now, they can save them at like 21 weeks, That's crazy. Um, but because she has medical expertise, we, we rounded up a bunch of medicine and stuff. And we were like, we were going to do a medical clinic and a, and a prayer thing where we get to see people supernaturally healed and all that stuff. So we did all that. And I just want to tell you what God did. Because it went way beyond what I was expecting. Like when we first got there and pulled up to the hotel, a diamond showed up on our bus. Uh, just like right on my buddy Sung's seat. He's one of my best friends. He would never lie about it. And I was like trying to check everyone into the hotel in this tiny little room. You know, it's like five feet, you know, square feet. And like the whole team is there and everyone's shouting about names and here's my passport and everything's all crazy. And Sung, kind of blissed out, comes up to me. He's like, look what I found on the bus. (laughs) And he holds this thing up and I'm like, why are you showing me a rock right now, man? We got to get checked into the hotel. And he's like, no, you don't understand, man. I look down at my seat. And nothing was there. And then I looked back at my seat, and there was this diamond there. He's like, bro, it's from heaven. <laughs> I was like, what? Shut up. I got to check everyone into the hotel. It was awesome, man. Just right off the bat, the glory of God went ahead of us and started doing stuff. We would be like, so what we did, we were real kind of like sneaky. Because it says we should be like snakes, right? 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 Innocent as dove, and what? There it is. She got to be a little sneaky with those Hindus. Yeah. So what we did was we had these stations where they would come in to get medical help, because we had a doctor and we had Christine, who's a nurse, and so the people would come get diagnosed, and then if we had the medication form, we'd give it to them, but if we didn't, then they'd prescribe prayer) <laughs> And they go to the next station where we had two teams of people trained to pray for healing. Okay? So these Hindus that normally wouldn't ever receive prayer from a Christian were going to get prayer. And they were getting healed. I mean, like, I'm talking, we had, I'll tell you in a second what I mean by people getting healed. It was crazy. But the third station, after they got loved on by the Lord and healed, the third station, they would, um, they would go over to the, in the side of the tent. And we had these bowls of of soap and water, and and our team would wash their feet. Because we figured that if Jesus could wash, like if God Almighty, who's on the throne, could come to earth and then sit down in front of Peter, who, let's be honest, I love you, Peter, but Peter was a loose cannon and kind of a doofus. (laughs) Right? Like, remember, he denied Jesus three times. Like, you get me? Like he messed up a lot. He knocked it out of the park too. It was either like a swing and a miss or he got a grand slam. There was no in between with Peter, which I love Peter because he qualifies the rest of us to do ministry, right? (laughs) But you know, if Jesus could wash the feet of this doofus, then we could humble ourselves and wash the feet of these beautiful widows. And so we did that. And it was crazy, man. I remember one of the people on our team were washing one of the widow's feet. She looked up at our team member, and she said, she said, you have loved me in this short time. You've loved me more than any of my Hindu gods ever have. The whole trip, just that, was that whole trip was worth just that moment. It was just amazing. I was like, man, that's my Jesus. Like It just made me worship, you know? It's like, forget about what she said. It just made me go, yes, Lord, you are so good. It was wonderful. I just loved it. But crazy stuff started happening. People on our team that were washing the widow's feet, I don't understand this, but it just began, we were in a tent. We were in a tent. There was no sky above us, right? It was tarp. And they get, started getting rained on. <laughs> it happened a lot of times. It wasn't just like a couple times. It kept happening. It was, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was God, just tears of joy. I don't know what it was, but like we were trying to figure it out because it was coming from this direction where there was just a wall and a roof. We were like, is there someone with a squirt gun back here? What's happening? We couldn't figure it out. It was just manifesting rain in in the place. And then I was telling that the other day at this Catholic conference I was at in Boston and it started doing it in the middle of the room. These people started getting rained on. And just now I was sitting here and I saw a little feather. And Lori was like, oh, it's probably from one of those down jackets that someone's wearing. (laughs) You know, she's playing that perfect devil's advocate. You know, all those down jackets we're all wearing today. It's pretty cold outside. Man, it's been warm, huh? Man, I love it. Do you guys like it? Jesus. (laughs) I love it. I'd rather have that than snow, but it's all right. Come on, that's right. Preach. But see, Bob and I like the tropics. We're both going to retire to Hawaii, aren't we? Come on. Jesus. So uh, I'm just looking at my list here, making sure I get all of it. I'll tell you about the healings, man. It was crazy. What? Yeah, cool. I'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh. These people would come in for prayer, and everybody's jacked on the team. We're all so excited to see what God's going to do. And it was wild, man. People would come up, and they'd get prayer. And we would ask them, is the pain gone? Or can you see now? Or they would, like, someone would come up with a cataract in their eye. So the Indians obviously have these beautiful brown eyes, right? And one eye would be brown, and the other one would be cloudy. And they'd lay their hands on the cloudy one and take their hand off, and the person would have both eyes open, and they would watch it turn brown. And see, because I'm I'm the leader, I mean, if you'd seen me, you would have been like, what's Tyler doing? Uh, Because all I was doing was just like walking around, just drunk in the spirit the whole time. That's my job, right? I'm just making sure everyone's okay, but in the rest, it, I'm just drinking. So my, my wife's over here, it's like tons of people around her trying to get medical help. And then there's my healing teams and i would just walk by and they'd be like, ha, ha ha cataract just disappeared. And then I'd walk down to the foot washing people and they'd be like, it's raining on us. My team sounded like, verifi- just verifiably crazy. Everyone sounded crazy. So there's just miracles happening. And, and uh, at the end of the day, the medical team came to me and they're like, that was such a hard day, man. We saw so many broken people. And then my prayer team came to me and they are like, that was such an amazing day. We saw so many people get healed, right? Yeah. So I was like, all right, we need to steward the testimony better. Because the medical team like wanted to kill themselves and the prayer team was all drunk in spirit and happy. I'm like, we stewarded this wrong. So the next day what we did was we, every time someone got healed, we have them run over and shout to all the medical people. This is who just got healed. This is what just got happened. Because they're like, people are like, you know, there's people that are like dying coming to them. And they're like, oh, and the people are weeping, you know, and they're like, here's some ibuprofen, you know. (laughs) They didn't know what to do. Go get prayer. Hurry. And so they'd be doing that. And then someone would run over and be like, someone, you know, just. You know, someone's blind eye just opened or whatever. And they'd be like, oh, thank God, keep their head above the water, you know, just barely. Yeah. But the funny thing is by the time that messenger, they were only like 40 feet apart, the groups. But by the time the messenger came back, there was already like three more people that had been healed. So they just turned back around and run back to the... <laughs> and I was like, we need, to, we need to write these down so we know what God's doing. So I was like, all right, your job is to write these down, these miracles down. She's like, okay, okay. So she begins like writing a list. I don't remember who it was. Was it you? It wasn't you. And they're like writing a list of the miracles and everything. And I walk over. I'm like, how's the list going? She's like, fine. She holds up a piece of paper and the paper is filled. It's been like 10 minutes. Paper's filled of miracles. And I'm looking at them. They're they're big deal miracles. They're not like small things. And then, like, a bunch of them are getting born again. Because, like, we didn't even tell the team to do that. But they're, like, leading people to Jesus and everything. So it's just happening. And, and I go, oh, this, this list is great. This is after 10 minutes? She says, yeah, it's after 10 minutes. I said, that's awesome. And I looked, and there's two teams. And I said, you, you've been sitting here the whole time? She said, yeah. I go, well, did you check with the other prayer team? She goes, no, no, I didn't know I was supposed to. She missed out on, in 10 minutes, half the miracles Right? We couldn't record them fast enough. People were walking up and getting healed. Like, right away. It was crazy. It was, it was crazy. And like, here, I had this revelation about the nature of faith while I was there. Because the people taught it to me. Okay? The Indians did. The Hindus taught me about faith. And here's how. We would tell them, God wants to heal you. And then that one roadblock to believe that we were lying. So it would happen right then. And what would what would happen is we would pray, they'd get healed, and then they would walk off. And they never really had much of an expression. So like their cataract would disappear and we'd be like, Can you see? and they'd be like, Yeah. And they'd say, thank you, you know, and they'd reach down and touch our feet because that's the way you honor in Hindu culture. And then they would leave. And I was like, why aren't these people like jumping, hooting, hollering? And so my unbelief was like, well, maybe it's because they're not really being healed. So I would pull them aside. I'd be like, hold up. Are you really healed? And they'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, cover your eye, your good eye. And they'd be like, I'd be like, how many fingers am I holding up? They're like, you're holding up five fingers, man. Chill out. I'm healed. It's all good. And they'd walk off. And I was like, okay, why aren't these people like freaking out and rejoicing? You get me? Okay, this is crazy. My assessment was that they didn't believe. Okay, what was actually going on was that we had told them God would heal them. And then God did. They weren't surprised. Their lack of surprise was faith. It just blew my mind. You know, and I remember the, the, the time when my son, when he was three and a half, he raised him from the dead. And I remember I had told him prior to praying for the guy that was dead. I told him, I go, dude, Jesus wants to raise this man from the dead. Now, being a three-year-old, you just believe your parents. So when it happened and I came to him just like, <laughs> Joshua, this man was raised from the dead. I was all excited, you know, just freaking out. And he just goes like, he's looking at me like I've had a, a mental break, you know. And he just goes, that's great, Daddy, and just kept playing with his toys, you know. <laughs> there was no surprise for him. He expected the miracle to happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that. You know, when, when, when Paul is standing before King Agrippa, and I think Acts 26, he says, why should you consider it incredible that God would raise the dead? There's something about that where he's confronting, like, this surprise we have when a miracle happens. And that our surprise kind of unveils and reveals our unbelief to some degree. Do you understand? It's crazy. And these Indians weren't like that. Okay, so let me tell you more testimonies. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So this one is, well, we, we, by the end of it, we, we ended up being able to go and go to this core group of tiger widows. And there was a lot of kind of demonic resistance to us getting out there. But at one point, the widows have been pro- the People go over there and kind of gawk at them and take videos of them and stuff, right? Do you understand? And so they're real hesitant with letting foreigners out there. And they wouldn't let us go. And at one point, they said, if you, if you can come and show us that you want to give to them rather than take from them, we'll let you go, these governmental leaders in the area. and so. I said, "Well, what do you want? What do the women want?" They said, "We want we we want blankets. We want thousands of blankets." And I was like, "Done." And in my heart, I was like, "There's no money for that." You know, my head, and I was like, "God will do it," because God wants us to go out there. So our team raised funds, and within like eight hours, we had like three thousand dollars to go buy blankets. And a truck pulled up with blankets, and we began unloading them, and the widows came. Okay. Tons of widows. And so we fed the widows and we 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 did all kinds of stuff, man. We were we did all kinds of stuff. And they came for the blankets. Right? Okay. We had like a 10-minute window to preach the gospel. That's why we came. 10 minutes. So I gave the I gave the mic to my buddy Sung and I said, "God's God's saying you should do it tonight. You should preach the gospel. We got one shot at this. Got 10 minutes to give them the whole message, and make sure they get it. You understand? He's like, yeah. And we were drunk. <laughs> I mean, you could feel, it was God was there. So, some gets up and begins preaching, and I've never, ever heard the gospel preached like this. It was the most powerful message of the gospel I've ever heard. I, I was in the back weeping uncontrollably, and not because we were with the widows and it was beautiful, but because I was getting saved again. <laughs> you know? I was giving my heart back to Jesus. He was so anointed. I was like, I cannot believe that God sent his son to die for us. Like, this is amazing. We will worship him forever because of this. You know, it's just incredible. You know, the awe. You know, the true fear of the Lord. The awe, the reverence that God would do this. It was just amazing. So he says at the end, if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, you know, not as another one of your gods, but as Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand and the, all the women put up their hands. You don't like that? I like that. It was good. It was real good. So then afterwards, we, we feed them all, you know. We go through and feed everybody because they don't, they don't have food. These women don't have enough food. And these are the outcasts of the outcasts, right? So we do all that. It was amazing. And then we line up to give them the blankets. Yeah? Now, a lot of these widows, they're widows, but if they don't put a dot on their forehead, which tells that they're married, okay, they put this red dot right here. If they don't put a red dot right here, men will take advantage of them. So they'll put a dot right there to protect them so these men don't take advantage of them, right? So these women, these old widows are coming through, and our team was loving on them. One of the women from our team just kept kissing them on the forehead, you know? It was the best because... She kissed him so many times, I called her Rudolph by the end, because on her nose, it rubbed on that dot, you know, over and over again. Her nose is just bright red. We were just kissing on them, loving on them, and it was glorious. It was heaven on earth. Loved it. We had, I remember one point we were ministering, and these, these pastors came to me, and they were like, they go, dude, they didn't say dude, but. They go, there's this paralyzed woman in this village nearby. Do you want to go pray for her? I was like, yeah, let's do it. They're like, she's a Hindu. I was like, that's okay. So I gathered up some people to go with me. And we walked down the road. And we get to this little clay hut. Were you there? No. No, it was me and a couple others. We get to this little clay hut. And there's this woman laying there. And we begin to pray for her. And I'm telling you, in two minutes, she was moving her legs. Okay? Praise God. Come on. And I I was flipping out. You know, I was back in my unbelief. I was like, wait a second. Why isn't the family freaking out? Does she do this sometimes? You know, like, is this not, is this normal? Is she really paralyzed or not? And they're like, no, she never moves her legs. And I'm like, why aren't you freaking out then? But they were all just like kind of in shock. They were like just looking at this paralyzed woman. And so we saw a measure of healing for her. And then at one point it just got capped off. Like I felt it stop. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I felt like Holy Spirit said, there's another measure when she gets, gives her life to Jesus. Because wow. that's what's important that we sometimes, sometimes people get a little uh, nervous about Giving someone the salvation prayer, right? There's this whole like push right now in like edgy Christianity where they're like, "Man, she's never led anyone to Jesus. They never had the sinner's prayer." You get what I'm saying? Well, when you're in the middle of a village and these people are Hindus, it's real wise to give someone a decision because that's all that a salvation prayer is. It's like giving them a decision, and because there's a new measure, do you get what I mean? Because we've made a formula. Out of the sinner's prayer. So a lot of us have kicked back on that. And it's like, we don't need to do that. Jesus told us not to say get people saved, but to make disciples. So then they don't ever want to do the sinner's prayer. And I'm like, hold up. You don't understand. Because in rural areas, even outside here, giving someone a decision, do you want to follow Jesus or not? Leading them through a prayer? Dude, there's massive breakthrough on that. So she, she you get me? So she's like, yes. She goes, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus. We're like, all right. So we lead her through a prayer. I have, I have the pastor with me. Preach the whole gospel to her, right? And then at the end, I'm like, do a prayer. So he leads her through. And I, when he gets done, I said, did you have her say Jesus is Lord? Because if you've ever worked with demons, that's important. You understand? Because they can't say it. Like it says in the Bible that it's only by the Holy Spirit that you can say Jesus is Lord. That's why I got tattooed on the inside of my lip. You understand? Ha <laughs> Well, I don't agree with tattoos, brother, especially inside your mouth. <laughs> I did that at the Catholic conference. I showed them, and they were like, hmm. You know? No, they were awesome, man. The Catholics were amazing. So uh, so I said, did you have her say, Jesus is Lord? And he looks at the lady, and he goes, say, Jesus is Lord. And she goes, hmm. Can't say it. And I was like, keep on it, man. Don't back off. Keep telling her to do it. She kept doing it, kept trying, kept trying. She finally says it, right? And the moment she says it, I'm telling you, this veil that was over her, she couldn't look us in the eyes. She couldn't look up. She couldn't move her head or anything, right? She's paralyzed, right? The moment she says it, she goes, and looks at me. The veil goes, whoo, comes off of her. And she had, like, light in her eyes. It was awesome. We prayed more. She's moving her head all around now. She's moving her arms. And I'm like, this woman's not paralyzed? I'm looking at her family. I'm like, she's not paralyzed? Want to hear something crazy? This is, this is uh, I hope this is a teaching moment. Because this, this was rough. She, okay, the moment she said Jesus is Lord... It was like her brain was clear. She wouldn't really talk that much prior to that moment. It was like everything in her was bound up. Her speech, her hearing, her body, everything was locked up by demons, right? By darkness. But the moment she said, Jesus is the Lord, there's so much glory and light on Jesus is the Lord. That it, like, her whole, she was probably in her 60s or 70s. Her, all that darkness from all of her life went, lifted up. That's how powerful Jesus is. I'm talking decades of demon worship. All of a sudden broken, right? It's amazing. It was, it was, I I loved it. It was so good. Because there's nothing more real than that. You're in the middle of nowhere. She doesn't know who Jesus is till that moment. She's not making any of this up. Okay, so, so she, she does all that. And, and it was the most heartbreaking thing. And it was, it broke my heart. The moment the light came on her, and her eyes opened up and she just looks at me. And she goes, when will you come back? Looked right at me. When are you coming back? There was so much hope and so much desperation. And I thought to myself, the honest answer was, I don't know. I don't even know if I can find this village again. I don't even know how we got here. And so for me, I'm like, what do I say that doesn't crush her? Because right now her salvation is based on me. Because I'm the one that led her through all this. So I immediately, I'm like, well, pastors can come out here, you know. Because that's the need of discipleship, right? She needs someone to disciple her and help her through this thing now. And I just said, don't worry, there'll be people that'll come love on you. Because see, she's in a Hindu family. Now, if I've learned anything about healing, it's that if you don't get a renewal of the mind, you'll go right back to your diseases. Okay? So the moment she hears that I'm not coming back, I watched her, just like Peter, take her eyes off Jesus, and I watched her begin to sink. Do you understand? She had light. She was like, she went from being an inanimate object. I'm not joking. She was without life to a human being. And suddenly, I'm watching it just roll back over her. And And I'm going... Whoa 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 she needs to put her eyes back on Jesus. I can I'm watching it happen and I'm not even joking you this woman that was moving her arms, her neck and her legs. I watched her become paralyzed again right in front of my eyes. That's why we need to go preach the gospel. That's why we need to go to the nations. It's called the Great Commission. We need to be out there going for it. And these poor pastors, you know, they don't even have money to take a bus out there. These guys are so poor. And I, was, I looked at the pastor. I was like, dude, he just got, you know, his wife had just left him. The kids had just left him. This pastor's broken. And I was like, dude, I don't care what problems you got in your life. She's your priority right now. You need to get out here and be with her. He was like, I'll try. Like, he didn't even know what to do. And we left. That was tough. You guys all right? The, the, the point that I'm trying to make is, You got to keep your eyes on Jesus. We all got to do that, because if we don't, we get paralyzed again. The moment we take our eyes off Jesus, we begin to sink, just like Peter. You just got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking. All right, so that was kind of an intense story. I'm going to tell you a funner one, Okay. All right, check this out. There's one night, we're in a hotel. Not not all this is going to be India, by the way, I promise. So one night, we're in a hotel. It's late at night. And I'm hanging out in my buddy's room. My buddy Troy, who's a pastor in L.A. He's this black Pentecostal preacher. He's amazing, okay? Troy Smith. And my buddy Sung, who's a pastor in Olympia, near where I live, okay? So two men that I know very well and I trust. Do you understand? I'm in their room. We're just hanging out. We're not praying or anything. We're not being spiritual. We're just hanging out talking. And a few of the women off our team come into the room. OK? One of them's Heather. And you know Heather. She, she goes here. Are you OK? Do you know who I'm talking about? The other one was this woman named Amanda. She's an amazing individual. Not sure if she's here or not. So they come in the room, they're hanging out. We're all just kind of chilling. And it gets to be about 11:30, so I'm tired. I want to go to bed. I get up, and I'm like, love you guys. I'm going to go to sleep. And I begin, <laughs> I begin to walk out of the room. And as I'm leaving, I go, hey, Heather, you should tell these guys your testimony, because God saved her from death, okay? So I said, you should tell these guys your testimony. She goes, all right, I'll tell my testimony. So I walk out, and I go to bed. Well, this is what happens. Heather begins to <laughs> Heather begins to tell her testimony, and Holy Spirit drops in the room. Are you guys okay? Holy Spirit drops in the room, and Troy gets fired up and goes over and lays hands on uh, Amanda, right? Gives her the, the boomba. Now, the boomba knocks her out. She gets laid out in the room. Now, this is the kind of stuff we live for on our mission trips. You know, we do fire tunnels in our hotel where there's no way to get through the hotel unless you go through the fire tunnel. So the Hindus are going through, and it's fun. You get me? All right. So she gets slapped by the Holy Ghost, and she goes out on the floor. And they're all having fun and everything. And, and suddenly, they look down at Amanda about half an hour later, and there's gold dust all over her. Okay? And it's just glory. You know, they're having fun and everything. Well, it gets later. And, and later, and and finally, Heather's like, "I got to go to bed." So Heather leaves, but Amanda's still knocked out on the floor. So now it's Amanda and two men in this room. All right. I hope you guys. Uh... <laughs> but it's the you know she's knocked out. What are you gonna do? So they keep praying, having fun, and it's, about, it's been an hour now, and they're still enjoying the Lord, and then two hours, and three hours. So now it's like around three in the morning, and Sung and Troy are tired. So they're like, what, we, what do we do with Amanda? They were like, her room's far away, and I don't know if we can carry her all that way, So on a mission trip, they did what you don't do on mission trips, which is take that person that's knocked out, grab her by the hands, one of them, the other one grabbed the feet, and they just lifted her up and put her on the couch in their room. And they're like, listen, we couldn't do this on many mission trips, but we know Tyler. He's our leader, right? And so they put her on the couch and they get into bed and go to sleep. So if you haven't figured out why this is controversial, women and men are not supposed to sleep in the same room on mission trips. Do you get me? Okay, this is the best part. Check this out. At five in the morning, my friend Cindy, this heavy-duty intercessor, okay, she wants to go to Mother Teresa's place and do mass. So she's got to get up real early. (laughs) And she's walking down the hallway and Troy and Sung's door opens in the morning, she's walking by, and who comes out but Amanda? (laughs) I love the problems that the glory of God creates. I like it. Come on, so bless Amanda, Lord. More Jesus. So awesome, so awesome. We're in a, we're in a, India, and that same woman, Cindy, one point at the very end, she gave me this. Now you don't know what this is, but those of you guys that gone through our school of resurrection, yeah, you you've heard this story. You guys remember the uh, the Saint Nick story? You remember, Saint Nick one time was he was in an area with a famine. All right. He's in an area with a famine and, and all, all the crops and all the, the cows and everything have died. OK. And so he's sitting there and he gets this vision and there's this wicked innkeeper. And the innkeeper doesn't have any food to feed his guests. So he does the unthinkable and he goes out into the street and he kidnaps three boys off the street. He Takes them back and he butchers them. Butchers them into pieces. He then takes their bodies and he fills up a barrel full of, of, of brine, and he cures their body, their bodies by throwing it in, and he seals it so that he can feed this to his guests. And Saint Nick sees this whole thing in a vision. Yeah, I'm talking about Saint Nick, the same one that we got Santa Claus from. You get me? So Saint Nick gets up from his vision. And he goes into the town because he knows that God wouldn't give him a vision like that unless God wanted to do something. He goes into the town and he finds the inn in his vision. And he walks inside and he sees the guy in the vision. And he confronts him. He says, take me to the barrel. The guy takes him down into a cellar downstairs to this large barrel that's sitting in the middle of the room. St. Nick prays over the barrel and then tells the man to open it. He opens it. It's full to the top full of briny liquid. And out of that liquid, three baby boys crawled out. Some of you guys are like, I don't believe it. But see, the real issue here really isn't even the credibility of the story or me or whether you think I'm a liar or not. It's Jesus. Because it says that nothing's impossible with God. Now, yeah, this was documented through Catholicism for many years. I, I know what happened. But see, our unbelief comes up with excuses, doesn't it? Now, I heard this crazy rumor. I heard that Godiva chocolate, that this, this was such a well-known story, such a well-known testimony. Because, you know, you hear about St. Nick, but you never hear about this. You hear about the gold coins, Right. You hear about them paying off the debt of the, of the ladies so they can get married, all that stuff. You hear those stories. It's generosity. You know, you hang up your stockings during Christmas. That's where you got it, St. Nick. You get me? Yep. How many times we go on Christmas Eve, go pray over a barrel full of chopped up kids though, right? So I heard that this was such a well-known story that Godiva chocolate, Godiva chocolate that we all know about, that during Christmas time they would put out this solid chocolate. Statue of Saint Nick, but at his feet in this statue were three kids popping out of a barrel. And I was like, You gotta be joking me. There's no way. So I got on eBay and I Googled because I was like, Maybe there's still the casts because they discontinued it. Wonder why, right? That was a joke. They discontinued the chocolate statue. And so I was like, I wonder if there's still the casts uh, of this thing. And I, I found some. At the time, we were in ministry, and we were poor as all get out, right? So I couldn't buy it. And I told that testimony to a group, and Cindy that was in India with us was there. She got on her phone in the meeting, found it, and bought it. Now I, I was a little jealous. <laughs> I was like, I should have bought it, right? I never mentioned that jealousy to Cindy. And in, <laughs> and in India, dude, she came up to me. She goes, you know what? I want you to have this. Dude, it's got, it's got the number and everything from the company of its cast number and everything. I wanted to pass it around and let you guys see it. It's super cool. Look at the little kids coming out of there. Our God is a God that likes to restore children. He loves to restore life. He raises the dead. It doesn't matter how far gone someone is. It doesn't matter if they've been embalmed. It doesn't matter if they're missing their organs. Yeah. It doesn't matter because what? all things are possible with God. He's the God that created the universe. He made man from dust to begin with. See, we come up with all these reasons as to why the dead can't be raised. Well, if they're embalmed, brother, I'm not really sure what we're going to do. Well, if they're missing their liver, I mean, what we, what do we, do? we could get liver from someone else. I don't know what we're going to say. God creates. That's why I love dead raising. It's not just healing. It's a creative miracle where God's actually creating, and then he takes the same breath that he breathed into that dirt, and he breathes it over a dead body, and that person comes to life, man. I'm telling you, check this out. Uh, One month ago, one month ago, okay, wait, let me back up, let me back up. For about a decade or more, we've been praying for the dead, and we've had some breakthroughs. It's been good. We do trainings and stuff. Actually, we did a training here. And after the training, there's six people that got raised from the dead. That's good. I think that's good fruit. So so, uh, we've been doing that for a long time. And it's hard. Honestly, the hardest part is dealing with the church. But I'll tell you what, I love the church. Even if the church hates me at points. I love the church. So we've been doing that for a while. But see, our focus has been to train other people. It's not just for Tyler to go pray for the dead. I believe that Romans 8 says that the same spirit that lived that, sorry, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within. not just me, but... did you hear me? Yeah. Okay, let's try it again. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within. Come on, that's right. Jesus. So we've really focused on training. Now, here's the cool thing about training people. Is if you train people, they'll go do miracles. So my family and I are in Hawaii. A month ago, we were in Hawaii. And I'm just loving on my kids. For 25 days straight, someone gave us their $4 million house so we could stay there. (laughs) And we're out. I know, we were suffering for Jesus. I know. But... We're out there, man. We're, we're at Waimanalo Beach. We're just hanging out in the waves. Man, my kids are laughing. I'm holding my babies. It's amazing. My wife's a fox. She's there in the swimsuit. It's good. <laughs> everything about it was good. It was, everything about it was of God, right? And I get this text. Tyler, I need to talk to you. It's our DRT lead down in te- Dallas, okay? We have teams now all over the place because we've done these trainings, right? She said, I need to talk to you. I'm like, all right, Margie, what's up? I'm on vacation. I'm not on a 40 day fast. You get me? I'm not striving anymore. I'm not trying to make the miracles happen. I'm at a beach. But because I've trusted the body of Christ, I can go on vacation and the miracles continue. Margie tells me, yeah, I just raised the dead. (laughs) a dude, this is a month ago, a dude died, a guy died, and he was at a basketball game, and they take his body, they do everything they can, and now the wife is standing over his body, and she calls Margie. She just calls her, because I believe, I believe there's a lot of anointing on what Steve Jobs did for us. (laughs) I believe that the anointing can pass through things a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So she gets on the phone, and she's like, my husband's dead, and, and Margie just begins to pray. And dude, as she's praying, this guy begins to breathe, raised from the dead. Come on. That's our 22nd person raised from the dead. I'm so, I'm, I'm so thankful awesome. So we're doing a school resurrection here. It's been a couple years since we've done it. So Daryl asked me to come back. So in October, we're going to do one here. I have on my calendar the 4th through the 6th. They're like, yeah, sure. I guess it's happening on the 4th through the 6th now. Well, because you guys said mid-October, but I was like, I've got on my calendar. I talked with Serena, so I'm just going to go with that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So 4th through the 6th, October, I'll be back here with you guys. I can't wait. Um, if Daryl, if you're watching, we miss you. We love you. I can't wait to see you in October. We love you guys. You're amazing. Don't you guys think they're amazing? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. We uh, we're also gonna take another trip overseas. I talked about India last time I was here, and that's why some of the people came on the trip with us. If you want to go on a trip where you see miracles, signs and wonders happen, if you want to go to the poorest of the poor, we see when we plan our trips, we go where God's saying to go, but inevitably because of what we like to do, God sends us to the worst places in the world. Uh, I'm all about the mission trips that go to like Palm Springs. That's great, but we go, <laughs> we go to the bad places. Because God really likes the bad places. So this year, we're going to this crazy city in Peru. We're going to this city that's surrounded by water. There's no way to drive to it. You have to fly to it. It's got 600,000 people there. Serious, serious heroin addictions. Serious prostitution. Uh, and we're going to the worst part of the city. This part of the city is called Balin, okay? Check this out. This is amazing. You're in the marketplace where they're selling monkey meat and alligators and all kinds of stuff. And you walk down these concrete steps down to this area of the city that every year floods because it's on the Amazon. Hey, you guys been to Iquitos? Anybody? Come on. Baylin. Yeah, to Balin? Yes, dude, that's awesome. Okay, so you go down these stairs and the water from the river rises now. The houses are built on stilts. And the water rises, there's like floating drug needles. There's people possessed by demons walking around because the demons are telling them where coins are so they can reach down to the filth and grab it so they can get their next hit. There's, you know, it's sewage water. And they throw out these two by fours that you walk on, hoping you don't fall. And the boards are bending into the water, you know. There's prostitutes laid out high on drugs people have just taking off their clothes it's hell on earth and the first time I went there they warned us if a white person goes down there their life expectancy is around a couple minutes once the people know that you're there you're done so where do we want to go <laughs> see the cool thing is we know these people down there they've won over these drug lords real powerful guys And so these guys roll with us because they're born again now. And we go down there and we do whatever we want to do. We go down there and we just begin to worship Jesus. We go down there and we begin to just go and zip up the clothes of the prostitutes and clothe them. We go down there and we begin to just lay hands on the people that are possessed by demons. So we're going back. We're going to do some medical clinics. We're going to do all kinds of stuff. We're going to go to Machu Picchu. We're going to have a blast, but that's in November. It's going to be good. So that's Bayland. That's a little bit of a It's a little bit of the trip. I've got a video. If you guys want to see it, you want to see a video on Peru? Mitch, you got this? Oh, Mitch is gone. Mike's got it. Turn it up. Washes away all my sin. Jesus washes away all of my sin. Jesus he washes away all of my sin. Washes away all my sin. Jesus washes away all of my sin. Jesus he washes away all my sin. Washes away all my sin. Jesus washes away all of my sin. Jesus he washes away all of my sin. Washes made that video. I'm proud of it. I was, man, I was getting blasted when I was making that video. I was crying and stuff. It's amazing. So uh, come with us. OverseasMissions.org. Uh, man, whether you've been overseas or you haven't, if you've been overseas, come because you'll see crazy, a lot of miracles and we get to hang out. Like sometimes people want to hang out with me and I don't have any time on trips people want to learn, whatever, come with us. You get to hang out with us. It's a lot of fun. And uh, if you've never been overseas, if you've never been in the nations, I'll tell you what, it changes your life. There's something about getting out of your familiar place and getting where you have no idea what's going to happen that, uh, man, it's amazing. So you guys good? Come on. Come on, come on, come on. All right. I'm going to Talk real quick. I know that you guys normally get out of 12, so we're going to make this quick. But uh, something that God has been speaking to me lately and uh, throughout my life has been teaching me, something that I really feel like I just want to talk to you guys about real quick right here, is uh, something out of the Psalms, something that the Lord's been teaching me, okay? It's about trusting the Lord with your message, trusting the Lord with your dreams. It's about protecting the message and the thing that He's called you to, okay? So I'm going to be in Psalm 37. If you got your Bibles, you can go there. These verses are incredible, man. I'm telling you, these can change your life. Psalm 37, the first one. I'm going to be in verse 6. All right? You guys doing okay? Jesus. 37, verse 6. This is amazing. David said this. He said, verse 5, it says, commit your, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. And then do a 40-day fast and then strive a bunch and you have to do Facebook mess- you know, advertising and then you got to make sure that your YouTube page is up and you got to make sure that... Da, 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 da. No. Commit your way to the Lord. One. It's pretty easy, right? Two. Trust in Him. And then what's the promise? He'll do it. God will do it. And then what will it look like? He'll make your righteousness. In other words, He will make that you're right about what you're standing for. He will make your right standing shine like the dawn. He will put it on display for nations to see just because you committed your way to Him and you trusted Him with it. Now, is it always trust to strive? No. What does faith look like? It looks like a rest. Yeah? Some of you guys are sitting on amazing things. The Lord's put dreams in your heart. In fact, they're so huge, you don't even want to tell other people about them. Because you're worried that those people could extinguish those dreams by saying, hmm, maybe. Right? Do you get me? Okay. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn says, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. He will put the dream in your heart out for the whole world to see. The noonday sun. Psalm 57. This is going to start to make sense to you in a little bit. Psalm 57. Psalm 57, verse 2. If you're not turning there, I'll read it for you. David again, awed. David said, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. You were born with a purpose. I'm talking a unique way to change the world. Now, for you guys, you know some of the things that I was born for, because I've talked about it, right? Dead raising, immortality. You understand? I cry out to God Most High who fulfills His purposes for me. Do you you understand what that's saying? The NASB says like this I cry out to God Most High who accomplishes all things for me. See, in a culture where we're told that we got to do, 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 do in order for people to see what God's doing in us, the Bible says that He'll accomplish it for you. The 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 Amplified says that I crowd to God's most high who performs on my behalf and then he rewards me for it. (laughs) See, like I'm no longer into the gospel of striving. Like I believe that it's finished. So what that means is that I get to partake of the Sabbath rest. That Jesus is the Sabbath and I rest in him. Like, because see, I've done, I've done it. I've done the striving. I've tried to grow things. I've tried to get more influence, all that stuff. It doesn't work. And then suddenly, if I rest, God puts me in situations where the message goes forth in ways that I could have never done on my own. But it happens through the patience, through the rest, through not striving. The very opposite of what everyone's trying to tell you and how to sell on Amazon and how to. Right? It's, it's the only thing the world can do. It's the people of God that don't need to flip out and they can just rest that God's got it. I'm like, dude, it was your message to begin with. You gave this to me. I didn't come up with immortality, you did. So if you want it to go forth, you need to take care of it. I'm done trying. Do you get it? Have you, ever, you guys ever been there? I'm done trying, dude. Like I've tried and I've brainstormed as much as I can, and I've paid for those courses, and I've done this and that, and it's not working, so it's up to you. Now this can be applied to a business. It can be applied to your finances. I cry out to God most High, who performs on my behalf, then rewards me. I cry out to God who accomplishes all things for me. It's really good news. There's another one, I'm gonna read another one. It's it's the same, it's the same thing. It's 137. Psalm 137. I I went through about two years where every day this is the only thing the Lord would say to me. He'd tell me other things too, but the consistent thing was he would erase my memory that I'd read those verses before. I'm not even kidding you. Every time I was like, what's in Psalm 37? The next day I'd be like, What's in Psalm 37? (laughs) And then the next day, I like, "I don't remember what's in Psalm 57. Why is the Holy Spirit t- talking to me about Psalm 57? And then the next day, I'd be like, what's in Psalm 137? Because he keeps saying 137. So 137, it says, the Lord, verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The Lord will do it. He, will, he created me, then he puts his purpose in us. And then we try our best to make it happen and it fails. And then we go, oh, I just need to give up and rest with God. And then he makes his purpose that he put in us happen. And then he turns around and ridiculously rewards us for what he did. (laughs) The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. See, because I'm telling you, you get to a place where you're like, I don't know what to do anymore. I've exhausted myself. I've tried everything that I know to do. And this thing of immortality, this thing of dead raising, this business idea that I have, I just don't know how to get this thing off the ground. How do I get the world's attention? Right? You get me? How do I make this dream of mine that God gave me? Maybe it's a dream of God's heart. How do I make this dream? I know God wants it to happen, How do I make this thing happen? You know, it's like Jacob. He's like, I know you want to bless me. So that's what I've been sitting in. And resting in, and I'm telling you what, man, he's had to call me back to it. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Over three years, he's probably called me back to it 30 times. Because I just keep trying to do it on my own. Keep trying to do it on my own. Let's put out another podcast. Maybe it's the next Facebook Live video that I can do. Maybe maybe this, maybe that. Do you understand? Yeah. So I, I do that all the time. And for the most part, the body of Christ, when it comes to radical stuff, doesn't know what to do with it. You know, they just want the next Bethel song, you know. You start talking about immortality, they're like, okay, let's change the channel. Right? So I get this email from this pastor overseas. You guys ever get those? (laughs) (laughs) Bob never does. Brother, we would like you to come minister at our church. I get them all the time. I just delete them. And uh, what I always do that weeds them out is I'm like, sure, if you could pay for my flight over there, I would love, I would love to be able to fly anywhere in the world and have limitless money to minister to places with five people. That's great, but I don't, I don't, I can't do that right now. So I'm always like, I mean, if people want to pull on the anointing, show me if you're going to honor the message. So are you going to buy me? Are you going to buy me a plane ticket to come over there? And this pastor in India in Hyderabad was like, yeah, I'll buy you a ticket, and I was like, yeah, right. We'll see. And this confirmation comes in that this flight was paid. And I'm like, checking if it's a hoax. You know, I'm checking, what is this, you know? So I show up at the airport. We'll see if it's real. And I get on the plane. I'm like, oh my gosh, it worked. (laughs) And I was telling myself, I was like, if this works, you know, if if I get to India from some guy I don't even know about, um, Lord, you better come through. Because these guys put out $1,200, an Indian guy, put out $1,200 to have me come. Like, they have already invested. They put a huge investment into the kingdom. And like, whew, you better work through me. Because these guys are pulling on heaven. So I get there, and this guy's put together this conference. There's only about 300 people there, but that's, that's good. And he's like, I want you to talk about resurrection and immortality. And I'm like, sure. So I do it. That's great. It went really well. It was awesome. And at the end of it, he said, there's this pastor. that wants you to come preach at his church. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know this pastor. And I said, what do you think to this guy that's now become my buddy? Right? This pastor. And he's like, I think you should do it. He didn't tell me anything about it. I said, all right. Now, see, all I've done... I've rested with the Lord, I've trusted my path to the Lord, and I've protected the message in me. Now, what do I mean by that? Man, I hope that I can communicate this succinctly. You got to protect the dream inside of you. You got to protect it sometimes from people around you. Sometimes you got to protect it from religious devils. Maybe that means you don't watch an R-rated movie. Maybe it means you do. <laughs> Sometimes protecting the message means not coming down from the mountain. Like Moses, he stayed on the mountain. For David Hogan, protecting the message was not writing a book. Do you get what I'm saying? It's different for everybody. I tried to write down some examples of what it looks like to protect it. David, for David to protect the dream and the message in his heart, the dream was the Lord anointed me to be king and it's not happening. Do you understand? For him, it looked like strengthening himself in the Lord. It didn't look like getting prayer for someone else or finding a prophet. He had to go be alone to protect the message, to protect the anointing. See, you have something precious in you that needs to be protected, And too many times people submit themselves to worldly thinking or worldly things or friends that don't value them and they trash the message out of the desire to be loved on by people or needed or whatever. Do you understand? Okay. So. Sometimes it's speaking at a church. Like when I come here, I know that the message is going to be protected. How does it protect? It's protected through honor. There's times where I turn down speak engagements because I know that the people there, it won't just not do any good to them, but it will be a compromise to my own heart to go there because they don't value the message that's in me. So I have to protect what's in me and not go. This lady asked me the other day and I was like, no, I don't think I can swing that. I didn't give her any, I didn't explain or anything. She was just like confused. And you know what? Another reason why I didn't do it? Because I knew that if I went there and I was myself, she would get in trouble and I wanted to protect her. Do Do you understand? It's knowing, like, it's also being self aware and knowing your weaknesses. See, my weakness is being around religious people that worship the scriptures rather than Jesus. I won't hang out with those people. I don't hang out with people that read John MacArthur. I'm sorry. Because it's not because I don't like John MacArthur or anything like that. It's because the mindset that they're carrying, I know I'm susceptible to it. And I have to stay in the spirit. I have to protect the message. I don't even have a problem with what they're into. That's their thing. But for me, it's poison. And I can't submit my heart to that way of thinking. And I know that the moment I'm myself, they will get mad at me can't do it. Wow. See, because we think of, uh, you got to protect the anointing, you got to protect uh, the message, you got to protect. Uh, we think of it in terms of, like, you shouldn't sin, and that's true, you shouldn't sin, but it goes way further than that. There's temptations every day for you to compromise the message, and it has nothing to do with watering anything down. It has to do with what you allow into your heart, who you allow yourself to hang out with, right? Like, I'm super picky about who I hang out with. And it's not because I don't love everybody. I like a lot of people, but I don't hang out with everybody. Why? Because I have a great purpose in life, and I'm going to protect it. And I'll choose it. I'll choose it even at my own expense. In other words, maybe I want to hang out with somebody. Maybe I'm lonely, but maybe they don't acknowledge or care about what my heart ultimately beats for, so I will starve myself of that relationship to protect the message, to protect the anointing. And it's tough, man, because there's times where you got family, you know, and there's people in your family that think you're crazy. You know, they don't value what God's put in you. And so I'll be honest, they only get parts of me. Because I will put on hold, I will put muted their family. So you got to love them, right? you got to be around them. So I'll put those things on hold so that I can love them and they don't manifest a demon on me. And I'll love them like crazy. Probably never even bring up God around them. You get me? And if they just let go of their demons, they could experience a whole new realm in God that I'm carrying, but that's up to them. It's okay. They'll get it. You understand? Sometimes it's sharing. Sometimes protecting your heart is sharing with safe people. I know I can go to Bob at any time and share anything I need to because he's safe you know, it's not happen chance that Bob and I are friends. He's stewarded my connection with him in a way that God says yes. So it gives me freedom to say, Bob, I've been thinking about this. What do you think? Because I can't go to most people in my life and do that. Like when I say I'm friends with Bob, I don't choose to be friends with many people in the world because they're not safe to be trusted with what he's given me. Because see, I know that what he's given me Can change the world. And so, because I care about people, I'll protect the message because the world needs Jesus. And that's why I get free to be myself here because you know what? The amount of judgment or backlash I've experienced from this body is this much. So sometimes protecting the message, protecting the anointing, protecting the dreams in your heart. Sometimes it's sharing with safe people what the dreams are. But most of the time, it's not sharing with anybody. Most of the time, it's going to God about it and being like, hey, when are you going to make this happen, man? When when are you going to make yourself known? When are you going to make your glory shine like the noonday sun? When are you going to show off? Because, Lord, I don't know if anyone else is carrying this thing, and i got to be faithful. Because if, if this dies off of me, I don't know who's going to pick it up. Do you get me? See, so, you know, I've been preaching this thing on immortality for a long time, and it's hard. A lot of times, at best, people are like, well, I don't know what I think of that, but it's kind of interesting. Like, that's why when Lynn was like, you got to come back and teach us more about immortality. I was like, come on, Holy Ghost. Because it's so rare. But holiness is being set apart. It's not just not living in sin. It's being, it's choosing to be set apart. Jesus went off to lonely places. Prophets lived in the desert. They bugs. Why? Why? Because they had to protect what God put in them, John wasn't eating steaks, man, he's eating bugs i'm trying- I'm trying to get to the end okay, so. I pray these verses over me all the time. I'm like, you're going to fulfill your purposes. Because I sure can't. I'm not the marketing superhero that people need. right? I'm not the salesman that it's clear you got to be if you're going to do all this stuff. So this conference happens in India. And my buddy says, yeah, I think you should go preach at this guy's church. And see, I got, I got a little bit of a release because I got to speak a little bit to Indians about immortality. And he's like, yeah, go to this church and talk to the pastor, see what he wants you to do. I'm like, okay. Now, I had no idea what was about to happen. We pull up to this, I guess you could call it a building. I couldn't see the end of the building. I couldn't, it was too big on the horizon to see all of it. And I was like, where are we? What are, where are we at? And the door opens, and there's men there. That don't look nice. They're like this. And my buddy goes, "That's your security guards." And I'm like, "What is happening right now? What are we? What are we doing?" And these guys escort me through these mazes, and I can hear all this noise somewhere in all these mazes. And all of a sudden. They just kicked me out onto this stage. It's as big as this room. The stage alone had like 15 air conditioners on it that were all about this big. And I don't, I don't even understand the stage. I don't understand anything. No one's prompted me for this. No one's prepared me. I don't even know what I'm preaching on. And I look out, and there's four to 5,000 people out in front of me. And I'm like, why am I here? Bill Johnson should be here, but not me. What's going on? And the pastor comes up, and he's like, hey, why don't you preach about resurrection? And I'm like, all right. So I start preaching about resurrection. It's good. And then there's another service right after that. And he's like, hey, this time, I think you should preach on immortality. And I'm like, okay, let's sit down for a sec. What did you say? Because I think you should preach on immortality. And I'm like, oh, no. there's 4,000 people out there. It's a con- that's a controversial message. He's like, I know, but God brought you here for a reason. I think you should preach on immortality. He will accomplish his purposes for you. He will do it. I'm like, okay. I've got this pastor's blessing. They've got a mega church. So I preach on immortality. That night, he he takes me out to dinner, and I find out this dude is a baller. This pastor, he's amazing. He regularly will have people jump up and try to kill him during his services. That's why I have a security team. The week before, he'd baptized 10,000 Muslims and Hindus. And here's little old me. And I'm like, 2 Timothy 1.10 says that Jesus unveiled, revealed to us, light and immortality through the gospel. This guy is a a superhero in the faith. And I'm up there, little Tyler, preaching immortality. Why? Because when it's supposed to happen, it will. Because you've trusted the Lord with the dreams, with the vision. So... Okay, I preached that that, that second time that night, and he takes me out, and he looks me in the eyes, and he says, these are things God's done through our ministry. He's telling me numbers and different things that are just amazing, right? And then he looks at me, and he says, tonight, God changed my life through this message. Check this out. He goes, in 1994, the Lord spoke to me that I needed to talk to the body of Christ in India, because he has massive influence. I need to talk to the body of Christ in India about immortality. And he goes, I disobeyed the Lord. He goes, I, I knew it was too controversial. I thought I'd lose my church if I did it, so I didn't do it. And he goes, Tonight, Holy Spirit convicted me that this is the message we have to forerun in India. So he goes, I want you to come back and I want you to speak at our, at our big service. And he goes, but I think maybe this time we don't do immortality, we, we do other some other stuff. I go, okay, that's fine. I'll do whatever you want me to do. So the next, the next day or whatever it was, I don't even remember. It was a I mean it was a complete whirlwind. He has me back out of his place. There's more people. And I'm sitting on the front row. I've got a whole message from the Lord about intimacy. And he slides in next to me and he goes, Hey, remember what I said about not even mentioning the word immortality? I was like, Yes, sir. He goes, Yeah. Don't worry about that. Just preach on immortality today. <laughs> I was like, what do you, what do you mean? I, I was like hoping there wasn't a loss in translation moment, you know? So I was like, wait, you want me to talk about immortality? Because I've got a whole message on intimacy. I'm arguing with this dude that's like a superhero in the faith. It's like Bill Johnson, but in India. And I'm like, no, no, no. You told me not to do this, remember? And he's like, I know what I said. And I'm like, okay, but you want me to do it now? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it, but preach it harder. <laughs> I was like, I don't think you know what you're asking. I go, I come off real hard sometimes. Like, I, I swing the hammer. And he's like, swing that hammer. Okay, so I got up there, man. I preached my heart out into immortality, man. I mean, I was like, just going for it. The people loved it. He never, he's such, he's like kind of, you know, he's, he's basically famous. So if he even tries to go out for tea or coffee or anything, there's like a line of people that go out into the road for prayer. And he can't go out in public, right? And, but he has me to his house, which doesn't happen. And he just shared to me, he's like, listen, we got to do this thing. We gotta preach the message, we gotta be faithful to it. We gotta protect the message. We gotta protect what God's put in us. Because at the right place and time, the Lord, not for your sake, but for his will exalt you. Do you do you understand? He will exalt you in due time. So that the thing that he's birthed in you can come to fruition be given to the body of Christ, amen? All right, stand up. You don't have to stand up, Amanda. More. More. I want to pray over you guys after this, but I just want to do a quick prayer over all of you right now. Just put your hands out. We're going to pray. I want to pray over you something, okay? Lord, we we trust you with our dreams. Lord, we trust you with the message you put on our life, God. Lord, we trust you with the anointing you've placed on us. Okay, hold up. Pause. Some of you have completely let go of the dreams. You can keep your eyes closed. Some of you don't even remember what the dream is because it died so long ago. So right now, I just pray life over your dreams even right now, for life to come back and you have memory of what it is that God actually made you passionate about. It might be a nation. It might be a message. It might be a person. But I just feel like right now, right now, the Lord's going to resurrect some dreams that have died, okay? But for the rest of you, Lord, we trust you with our dreams. It could be finances, you guys. It can be stuff for your family. It can be things you dream about doing in your house. It doesn't have to be super spiritual. Maybe someday you want to drive a new car. Praise God. Lord, the dreams, the material dreams, the spiritual dreams, the physical dreams we have about our bodies, Lord. We trust you. Lord, we thank you that You will bring a breakthrough. Lord, we thank you that you put a purpose in us, and then you accomplish it, and then you reward us for what you've done. See, this is the sovereignty of God. This is what it looks like. So, Lord, right now we receive the confidence that you've got this. Lord, we trust you. Just in your heart right now, just say, Lord, I trust you with my dreams. I trust you with the purpose of my life. I trust that you will make my purpose shine like the noonday sun. That you will exalt yourself before nations through me. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every one of you to receive peace. Peace. No more fear. No more striving. No more what-ifs. Peace in the name of Jesus. This thing is yours. He gave it to you. He who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen. Come on, Jesus. He who started a good work. Lord, you will be faithful to complete it. You will not let. That which you put in us, die. It's like a baby. No abortions here. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.